This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This week, we say goodbye to 2018 and welcome 2019. This is the Known and Ever podcast. Hello, welcome, 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 Clarets fans. How are we all? Happy New Year. We are back. It has been quite some time since we graced you with our presence and recorded a podcast just especially for you. In 2019, the team is back. It's been a while. It has been a while. We, I was trying to figure out tonight when I was writing an agenda for the podcast when we last recorded and alarmingly our last podcast was after the Spurs game and I think it's always difficult to get podcasts recorded around the Christmas and New Year time because people are in and out of work and on holiday and the games are coming thick and fast and there's no real routine so we decided this year particularly given the ups and downs that we've all been facing that we would let this Christmas period ride out see where we were at the end of it and come back with a regular schedule. As ever I'm Natalie I am here to talk through all of the issues with you and I am joined this week by resident statistician and my absolute fave, Dave Roberts. Dave, Happy New Year. Welcome back. Happy New Year, Natalie. Happy New Year to all our listeners. Oh, I see. So on brand. I love it. So, Dave, we talked before we came on air this evening about how we were going to handle this podcast because we've got five games to talk through. The last time we were with you, Burnley have played... Away in the league to Arsenal with a 3-1 defeat. They've played at home to Everton on Boxing Day with a painful 5-1 defeat. We've played at home to West Ham again in the league and won 2-0. We've won away from home at Huddersfield 2-1. And we've got a small matter of FA Cup third round win. Now, it's just not going to be possible to dissect all of those five games in any detail and talk through some points. So we're going to have a bit of an overview, aren't we, Dave, about how Christmas has gone and the highs and the lows. Uh, yeah, that seems like a good idea. There is, there's a lot to fit in otherwise. There certainly is. So kick us off, Dave. <laughs> how do you feel now compared to Boxing Day night? 
significantly better, I would say. Yes, after that uh, performance and the the result on Boxing Day, the run of matches we'd had, worry going forward that that momentum couldn't be turned around. But following that, yeah, a lot, a lot significantly happier, I would say. Yeah, I think that's pretty much where everybody is, isn't it? Um, And it's important, I think, to reflect on how we finished um, the end of the year and and, and quite a low point at at home to Everton and actually how things are looking now because we've had back-to-back Premier League wins, really important wins as well that have got us outside of the relegation zone and just ignited a little bit of belief back into the squad. So let's start this first part of the podcast by looking at the downtime. And I don't want to dwell too much on this because, as I say, things are looking a bit rosier. But by the time um, Burnley hosted Everton at home on Boxing Day and succumbed to a defeat, things were looking pretty dire. We'd found ourselves in the relegation zone and actually about five or six points behind Cardiff, I think, at one point as well, which was... Six, was it six? Mm. Thank you. Six points behind Cardiff at one point and three points away from safety with a quite a, an inferior goal difference as well. And and quite rightly, the, the mood at Unboxing Day was, was pretty awful. I think the two losses that we, we look at first, Dave, the Arsenal away and Everton at home, were quite different performances. I want to take you right the way back to the game at the Emirates because that was quite a feisty affair and... It was the second trip back-to-back weekends that we'd been away from home to a London team in the top six. And it was a 3-1 defeat, but it was, you know, it was a 3-1 defeat, as with Spurs and Liverpool, where we were trying to push for an equaliser before conceding a very late goal. I think the the man of the game for most of us was, was good old Ashley Barnes. And the reason why I want to start here is that frequently over social media over the Christmas period, One of the common complaints that I keep seeing is the standard of our strikers at the club and the fact that we are still playing with the strikers who played for us in the championship who got us promoted back in 2014 and we've never really bought a Premier League standard striker. Chris Wood has come under an immense amount of pressure and Ashley Barnes as well hasn't quite started the season how he finished the last one. But if we look at the Arsenal game, I thought Ashley Barnes was absolutely fantastic, Dave, and ended up being a really key player for us over the Christmas period. Yeah, I mean, Ashley Barnes and, and Chris Wood as well. I think we'll, we'll come on to talk about him, you know, scoring goals. Both of them really have improved things and they've shown they're capable of scoring goals, uh, important goals when needed to get some vital points in the Premier League games and then obviously to... Uh, to get us through in the uh, in the FA Cup as well, so yeah, I would say that yeah, we shouldn't underestimate our strikers. We, we spent money really on on two strikers in recent seasons. Andre Gray, we splashed out on. Spent, well, I think, in, in the end, it was around nine million that we paid for Andre Gray, and we I think we almost double that in terms of what we got when he went went to Watford. Um, and then also Chris Wood, whose uh, fee was believed to be in the region of uh, fifteen million as well, but. We are uh, still reliant to an extent on on two strikers who we've paid a lot less money for, both uh, Ashley Barnes and Sam Vokes, who's been at Burnley even longer. Uh, players who've been there a long time, they've played in the Championship, they came in the Championship uh, seasons, and they have taken that step up uh, with us uh, and done uh, done a done a job for us. Burnley are never going to be a side, I don't think, who are going to score uh, 60, 70 goals a season. We're not going to be banging three or four goals in a, a a game but we have had that knack in previous seasons of being able to score enough goals and um, yeah we'd like to have a 50 60 million pound striker who's going to score 
15, 20 goals a season, but there aren't too many of those around in the other teams. If you look uh, beneath the top six, there aren't that many strikers scoring for fun. So if you've got a striker who can get into or towards double figures and certainly have a couple of them, that's um, a, a big boost for a side. Yeah, definitely. Where do you stand in terms of the of the personality of Ashley Barnes? I mean, I personally adore the guy. My love for him runs very, very deep. But he did face quite a lot of, of criticism in that Arsenal game. And it was very much back-ended from this ridiculous Liverpool hangover that Burnley are a physical side and we, we go all in with these tackles. And it was raised again after the um, Spurs away game and it was raised again after Arsenal. I think a lot of it was very much down to um, the a couple of niggles that Ashley Barnes had with some of the Arsenal players. There was a fisticuffs at one point. I think for me, one of the Arsenal players, forgive me listeners, I can't remember now who it was looking back five weeks, but one of the, the Arsenal players was very lucky to stay on the pitch. But Ashley Barnes, for me, was probably borderline in reining in that, I'm going to say attitude, but I don't mean that in a negative way, that feisty nature and that fight that he's got inside you. It can be so, so vital in so many games but he sometimes can let it go too far and it can spoil his game. And I think for me, the Arsenal game, he was very much um, on the cusp there. Particularly for me, there was an incident that was thought in real time was a stamp by Ashley Barnes on the Arsenal player's chest. In real time, I honestly thought it was it was a sending off and I couldn't believe he'd done it. When you actually look at the footage from the opposite angle, you can see clearly that he's trying to get the ball and the guy's got it around his arm. So it wasn't a stamp, which is great. But even taking that risk and trying to get that ball when it's against somebody's chest, when you're already on a yellow card and he'd clearly seen a little bit of red mist. For me, I think Dave can sometimes maybe spoil his game a little bit. Yeah, possibly. We know we know what sort of player we get with Ashley Barnes. He's always going to be in the defenders' faces. Um, he's not a, a pretty player by any means. He, he does what's necessary and uh, muscles his way through the game as well. I mean, yeah, we're getting criticism from Liverpool about being a physical side, but... The other option is, yeah, we'll all uh, we'll all sit back and, and watch you score ten goals every game. That's not the way it works, is it? You know, there there are ways and means for for teams who aren't in the top six to to get results in games. So take nothing away from Ashley Barnes. I certainly wouldn't want to be playing against him as a um, an opposing central defender, but he's got uh, a lot of facets to his game. And you know, don't forget there's still uh, talk of him being an international footballer. He, he qualified. He played as um, under twenty one level for under twenty three. I think it was for uh, for Austria. And I believe there's still talk of uh, the Austrian manager bringing Ashley Barnes in to play for them at some point as well. I know there were some passport problems that m- means it hasn't happened so far. But yeah, we we could well see that happening. I think I'm. He's one of those players that he does divide opinion to some extent. There are, you know, people who will criticise him. Um, opposition fans quite a lot get riled by him, which isn't always a bad thing. And he does sometimes get some criticism from Burnley fans as well. But I think when he puts that Burnley sh- uh, shirt on and steps over the line, he does a job for the team. And I think while he's at the club, you know, I, I, I for one, going to support him and. Uh, I'm pleased when he's into a game, you know, he got that goal against Huddersfield and he got the winning goal at the John Smith Stadium as well, a vital goal for us in the context of, of that game and in context of the season. So, yeah, play on Ashley Barnes. The more goals you get, the better as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, completely agree. Obviously, just to, to clarify, I, I wasn't suggesting in any any way, shape or form that I wasn't a huge fan. I I love the guy. I really do. Yeah, I was I was talking generally in terms of some of the um, uh, some of the feedback you do hear from, yeah. from elsewhere. Yeah. 
I think I think one of the things that really annoys me about Ashley Barnes' criticism is a lot of people are quite snobbish about him, aren't they? they? They tend to say that he's just some big lump who just throws his elbows around and jumps up and down and, and maybe bundles a goal into the back of the net sometimes. And I completely disagree with that. I think the level to which he's improved technically since he came to the club is absolutely phenomenal. And he's, he's a proper Premier League player for me now. And I, and I think... When he first came to us that season, we went up, was it 2014, we went up behind Leicester. He was brought in, as we've talked about before, as, as a as an emergency striker behind Danny Ings and, and Sam Vokes, who were both injured. And I would never have thought for one minute that he was good enough for the championship at that point, never mind to be an established Premier League striker who's who's actually really holding his own in a very difficult market. Dave, you mentioned in in that backup as well um, the re-emergence of Chris Wood. And I think this is important because the Chris Wood-Ashley Barnes partnership has started to come, come through again. And by the time we got to the West Ham and Huddersfield games... Chris Wood just looks like a completely different player. He's getting back to the striker we knew and loved last season, isn't he? Yeah, from a confidence point of view, that uh, uh, the goal is scored against West Ham. A team he's scored against quite a few times in the past. It's strange how it works out sometimes. But yeah, the confidence from that. He missed another chance in that game. You probably would have expected him to score as well. But the fact that he'd scored a goal, uh, he's gone on scored another goal as well. You know, And again against Barnsley. Um, he's scoring for uh, for fun now, so yeah, it's, it's it, it can be a confidence thing for strikers. When he came into the club, he scored on his first league match for for Burnley, didn't he? he came on against Tottenham down at Wembley and got the uh, late equaliser in that game, and he was scoring for fun at points in that season. You know, he, he looked like a, a, a real signing. Had one or two setbacks with um, injury during that season, so didn't didn't play the whole season. But we expected big things of him this season. It didn't really pan out at the start. But he's getting back to the sort of levels that we saw last season, and we're going to need that for the second half of the season. You know, we've got uh, seventeen matches left to play. We've got ourselves just that little bit away from the uh, the bottom three, but. You know, there's not enough of a, a cushion there for us. We need to play on, and a couple of vital games coming up. I know we're going to be previewing them on the podcast, but we'll be talking about the Fulham game later, which is vital. We've also got uh, Southampton. Uh, at home in early February as well. So they're going to be two uh, really important games. I think the way I see it with Chris Wood, I know that he's missed quite a few chances over his last few games, but I would much rather him been missing those chances but putting himself in the position where he's going to get the ball in the back of the net because by the time we got to the Everton game I think he was such a shadow of his former self that he wasn't even trying to get the ball in the back of the net he wasn't creating any opportunities for himself and it really did look like it was um it was all doom and gloom but you know as we've already said that they've definitely got themselves back together as a strike partnership and it was it was nice to see him missing goals for fun but actually getting himself in those positions that we, we saw last season where he can try and get one in the back of the net we're going to have to talk through it Dave we're going to have to go into some kind of therapeutic state and just talk about how we all felt um coming off the ground on boxing day after what was quite frankly an absolute thrashing by that Everton side. And there was definitely for me a massive vocal demand for a change in manager. It's the first time I've seen it. We'd heard pockets of it throughout the season. and We'd had to address it on the podcast a couple of weeks with with fans and listeners sending us in questions, asking us to talk about it. And it did feel uh, for me after the Everton game that Dyche had completely lost the dressing room. 
Now that's all changed because obviously we've started to win some points, but if we can try and cast your mind back to just how you felt at Boxing Day, Dave, I guess two questions. Did you feel that that was rock bottom and that we that was the worst that we'd been under Deitch? And where did you stand on changing the manager? Well, firstly, on, on the game, the game was over in uh, just over 20 minutes when the uh, penalty was given and the third goal was scored. That was the game pretty much over and done with then. So by the time it got to 90 minutes, if, if anything, there was kind of an, an hour of realisation that that was going to be a defeat anyway. Yeah, they scored another couple of goals uh, later on in the, the game to compound things. But I think there was, there was a realisation that the defeat was coming and it was a it was a heavy defeat. Um, and it was a, a, a poor performance on the day, but it, maybe it's where I am in the ground. I'm, I'm towards the back of the um, the family stand, right at the on the back row. So I didn't hear it as much. Yet, yes, there was discontent at the final whistle, but I think there's still a strong groundswell of supporters who still believe that Sean Dyche was the right man for the job to take it forward. And you know, we we can't be looking at you know, performances over two, three games. Yes, there's been a poor start to the season. Yes, we've got ourselves into the position we have done, but we've shown by what's happened in the uh, couple of games since those couple of vital victories we've had uh, against West Ham and Huddersfield that there are the green shoots of recovery and the way Burnley have played, not just in those games, to be fair. We, we had the Liverpool game. We did really, really well at Tottenham, went out with a game plan, to try and get a point or to try and sneak a win from a set piece, but were caught out right at the end. And then Arsenal, yeah, I don't think the performance is as strong as the Tottenham game, but again, we could have got something out of that game. But I think you tend you tend to write those off. The games against the big six, not many other teams are going to get points in those games. So it's, it's more like the games against the Everton's and the West Ham's, and particularly against the teams down the bottom, that are going to be uh, the pivotal ones for the season. So we've shown particularly in the last two games, getting six points out of those games against West Ham and Huddersfield, that we are capable of it. All we need to do now is uh, is push on and continue that momentum throughout January into February, because if we don't, we're going to f- uh, find ourselves dragged back into it again. But g- going back to your question about manager, from from my mind, I know we touched on it in one of the previous podcasts, the, the thought hadn't, hadn't crossed my mind yet. That That's not something that I was... Uh, contemplating oh you managed to save yourself then Dave right at the end of that so I'd just written a note on my pad as you were talking I was like make him answer the question <laughs> that was a fantastic politician's answer I was very impressed you should consider looking into to politics you dive you dive deflected I don't think that's a word is it deflected my uh my question brilliantly and I think I know how you feel now Dave but just challenging you a little bit on this just to make sure that we do thoroughly I'm asking you to put your mind back in space. So I know we've picked things up since then and I know things are on the on the, on the the mend and that's great. And I know you said it's never crossed your mind. So at no point at Boxing Day did you feel that a change of manager was needed, you were still 100% behind him and you, you weren't concerned in any way? I don't think you'd need jerk on the basis of... one. Well, it's obviously not on the basis of one game, is it? Because of Yeah, the I was going to say gone, it's a, it's, it's before, a but, poor first half of the season. Yeah. Even so, I don't think one game is the straw that breaks the camel's back, as the, as the saying goes. I think that um, you have to be more reflective of things in terms of looking at the bigger picture, looking at the season. And I think that, yeah, I mean, if Burnley had been playing poorly and then lost both games against West Ham and Huddersfield, 
I think then things might start to turn. But as it is, we are where we are. We've got those two victories. And, you know, we're, we're not out of the woods yet. Let, let, let's get that straight. We are just above the uh, the bottom three and playing teams in there that if we lose those games, they're going to catch up ground or, or, or get past us. So we do need to make sure that we can continue the uh, momentum. I mean, one of the bright things that's come out of the uh, games is... Uh, is the re-emergence of, of, of Dwight McNeil getting a chance in the first team and doing really, really well. He's been a, um, a real boost for Burnley's midfield. I think we'll, we will be talking later about what we think for the transfer window. That's almost like getting a, a, a brand new signing with a, a young player coming through. We're just not used to seeing that at Burnley in recent seasons. So to get someone like Dwight McNeil, who's been at the club since he was 14, actually getting through, breaking through, getting into the first team and looking like a real quality player, that's a real, a real, real boost in, in my eyes anyway. It is. Now, I was going to park McNeil until later on in the podcast just to have a quick look at that, but I'm going to tag this on to the end of this. I'm going to stick with Deitch for now because I think it's a really important factor because I want... I want to to really get to the nitty gritty of this, and not as a knee jerk, because the 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 talk was so strong after the game on Boxing Day, and I I I really very much admire your ability to not do knee jerk. I think that's really important, and I share that concern. I agreed with you. I I wasn't well. I was kind of in the middle. I wasn't immediately calling for his head because I didn't think it was the right decision. I felt after Boxing Day that he had questions he had to answer because it has been a very poor poor start to, to this season. And I've literally, just the level of discipline on the Boxing Day game was atrocious. But my view was that he'd very much earned the right to try and fight to get us out of this. So I was kind of mixed saying, no, I don't think it's time to sack him. I don't think that's the right move to make. But he can't get away with this scot-free. He has to answer some questions. And just picking up on a couple of points you've made there, Dave, number one, the knee-jerk reaction thing is it, this hasn't just been a one-off performance on against Everton. We saw um, a good performance against the Liverpool side, but that's been, up until the Everton game, probably one of the very few shouting points this season and one of the most positive things to say. You can't hide from the fact that this has been a really poor performance for weeks now. You know, And, and one of the things that Deitch was talking about, he was, was criticising the media a lot for his negative tactics, which he said were realistic tactics, not negative tactics. And we've, been, we've had so many games where we've had zero shots on target and it's just, it's not acceptable to me that we would just survive in this league by sticking 11 men behind the ball and hoping to God for a nil-nil draw or trying to nick a one-goal lead. And I think it's things like that that, that he needs to answer to. And the second point is the point you just made, made about Dwight McNeil. Yes, this is an absolutely fantastic talent. And he's come out and he's said, he's always said, I'm such a massive fan of him and I've, I've been a fan for ages. Surely we can ask the question, Dave, with his early start, sorry, with the appearances that McNeil made at the beginning of the season and the little sparks here and there, why on earth did it take him till right till Christmas when we were already in dire straits in the bottom three for him to bring McNeil on? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll try and cover both those off. The first one in terms of the, the questions, yeah, there, there are bound to be questions and I think, if anything, the manager questions himself more as, as much as anyone else does. Looking at some of the interviews that came out, I think they were maybe between, it might have even been before the Everton game, or certainly shortly afterwards, and it almost sounded to me, I mean, it may be the way it was written, the way it came across, that Sean Dyche was was writing his own epitaph on there. 
it, it didn't sound negative, but it sounded more sort of resigned to the fact that things might not turn around. And he he, he is a he is a positive guy. I think he's a he's a he's a motivator. But there just seemed to be those little bit bits of doubt. I think in in some of the the um, comments that came out in the media, you know, things have been turned around since then. But I think we, we we are right to question if 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 things aren't going right, fans will always question what's going on from the board, from the management, from the team. Uh, what I think does happen, and perhaps we don't see because some of it's a lot of it's behind closed doors, is the manager and the team will question themselves as well. And I think there is a a mindset in there. I think where they they will do that to to a, to a greater extent, but you, you you wouldn't want or expect them to do that in the full glare of the media. They'll be doing that behind closed doors, you know, at, at training sessions and and planning sessions that they have. So they will be be doing that. In terms of the other point on on Dwight McNeil, I think you do have to be a little bit careful. I mean, in in defence, I think of, of of the strategy, young players coming through. I mean, you look at the likes of Marcus Rashford. It's different at Manchester United. They've got a lot more players, a lot more quality. So it's more, even more difficult for someone to break through there. But this is a guy who you know England player getting in the England squad, and you look at the amount of time. He was given to get into their first team. There is there is a balancing act, and I think sometimes you're not always going to get that 100 percent right. There might have been opportunities to bring to bring Dwight McNeil in and play him earlier, but again, we don't see what goes on behind closed doors. There are the under 23 games, which I think some of them are put onto the Clarets player, so you can actually you can actually watch some of those games, but not all of them are. So we don't get a, a full picture of what's going on. So I guess we have to have a little bit of trust in there, but equally say that you know they're not going to get that decision right 100% of the time what was interesting that came out I don't know whether everyone caught on to this Michael Duff gave a press conference I think it was shortly after the West Ham game and he was talking about potential signings and loan signings coming in and he well he didn't allude to it he basically said there was a player that they wanted to bring in but he'd scored for another team today and he basically said that that player was Dwight McNeil so it looked like there was certainly a possibility of Dwight McNeil going on loan to play for Cheltenham under Michael Duff before he came in um, and did so well in the Burnley side. So that's another interesting thing that uh, that came out between Christmas and New Year as well. Definitely, I hadn't seen that that Duffer interview. So, well, I don't think I don't think we'd have sold him anyway. Would well, certainly not. Maybe a loan signing. It, it, it would have been on loan, yeah. Obviously, with a, with a view to being on loan, and, and you can understand that yeah. as well. That a player like Michael Duff, who's been involved in the twenty threes at Burnley, now managing a, a League Two side. To get a player in there to get some game time, you can see that you know, and it may still happen. There may well be other players who we uh, who we look to do that with, but that did seem to be again. I don't think there was ever anything confirmed from the Burnley end, not in any press that I saw. But there was a an, an actual video press conference. I think it must have been on the local newspaper down. I don't think it was on the official site. I think it was on the uh, the local newspaper down in Cheltenham. And um, basically, Michael Duff. Saying that, you know, more or less, saying that if, if Dwight McNeil hadn't come on for Burnley and scored, then they were looking to get him on loan. Well, they can get their hands off because we're not signing him. We need him now anyway because Brady got himself flipping sent off against Huddersfield. Right, well, I'm going to leave. That's, that's really useful, is that, Dave? And I think it's quite interesting to hear sensible views. Oh, I don't. 
I don't really mean to say that because I, I don't want to make it sound like anybody who's saying diet shouldn't be sacked is sensible and anybody who thinks it's time for a change isn't sensible because everybody's views perfectly valid and everybody's views going to be different. But I think just that calmness about an analysis to say, yes, there are questions that need answering and yes, we've clearly had a very poor start to the season, but... He has earned the right to get us out of this. And also he's already proven after the, the Everton results that things are turning around because, Dave, we then went on a three-game winning run, which was fantastic. Let's start with the uh, game at home to West Ham, which we saw out the end of 2018. And what a turnaround, Dave. What a performance. And we cannot ignore the rather obvious change with the dropping of Joe Hart, which many, many fans had been calling for for most of the season, in favour of the return of club captain and absolute legend Tom Heaton. And that decision was rewarded by a clean sheet, very importantly, an uplift to the crowd. They were chanting their name. Just everybody felt like they had a spring in the step. And the defence looked like they had a spring in the step. I certainly saw a much more improved, positive performance from from. Tarkovsky and me for the bare minimum with, with the presence of Tom Heaton behind them. Dyke said, Dave, that he was really felt, well, he said he felt hard on Joe Hart, didn't he? He said that he felt it was quite an unfair dropping. And Tom Heaton said himself that, that Joe Hart had been the player of the season for him so far. But Dyche explained it by saying that we basically were playing poorly. We were shipping goals for fun. And the keeper was the only position in the defence that he hadn't yet swapped around so he felt he had to give something a go was were the fans right Dave has Joe Hart been the problem to this season this is so so difficult isn't it I'm not sure you can say that based on on that one game um, Tom Heaton came in didn't have a huge amount to do to be fair in the West Ham game he made one really good save towards the end tipped the ball onto the bar whereby if that hadn't been saved and it had gone in there would have been pressure on, it would have been 2-1 and we'd have been really up against it going into the last couple of minutes. That's not to say Joe Hart wouldn't have made that save because Joe Hart's made some fantastic saves as well this season. But sometimes I, I can understand where the, the, the logic and the thinking and the, the way it's presented is coming across. Sometimes it's it's just a case of what have we got left to do and, and changing the goalkeeper was one of them. And then that's why you have options in all areas of the pitch We've got options at goalkeeper now, but maybe we've got too many options. We've got three international goalkeepers. We've had uh, three matches at Turf Moor, the last three matches, and three different England goalkeepers have played in each of those matches, which is, uh, well, unprecedented, I would say. Yeah, it's a bit greedy as well, isn't it? (laughs) We've We've definitely got a problem. And I know we were concerned that we were going to lose Tom Heaton um, in this January transfer window. I hope not, but we can't. By the end of this season, there's no way we can have all three England goalkeepers on on the ranks on the books. Sorry, it's just way, way, way too much. Apparently, Joe Hart's unhappy about being dropped, but understands that that's the nature of the game. I don't think the fan reaction is going to have helped the cause. I heard early on in the game Burnley fans chanting, "We've got our keeper back," which is just really, really, really harsh. But some, I think Joe Hart's probably professional enough, isn't he, Dave, to realise that when you're in a relegation battle, which we found ourselves in this season so far, you've got to try everything you can to get that belief and that desire and that fight back in the side. And if 
all it took was a personality change to get Tom Heaton, the captain and the guy who knows these players inside out, back behind them and and really helping them, then surely that's got to be a positive thing. And then on top of that, that save that he pulled out in the, what, 86th minute? West Ham score that and, and it's 2-1. We have a very nervy last 10 minutes, don't we? Uh, well, exactly, yeah. I and mean, that, that was uh, a boost. He, he didn't have a huge amount to do in the rest of the game, but to come in and make that save at the end, that was, was vital, really, in terms of making sure that we didn't endure, well, four minutes plus whatever the referee was going to add on. Just being a goal, looks, we would have we would have sat back and defended. We really would have uh, sat back even more, I think, if that uh, if that goal had gone in. In the end, it was one of those games where we should pre- probably had another couple of goals. I mean, 2-0 didn't really flatter us at all. I think if we'd have got three or four, it may have been a, a fair reflection of the balance of the game, I think, in terms of the chances that we created. We could have had uh, another couple of goals quite easily. But it did make a difference. I think it did. It did boost the crowd. I, I saw probably more in the first half because we were kicking towards the cricket field stand in the first half. So looking at um, Tom Heaton playing that first half of the game, the instructions that were given out to, well, all the back four, I think quite a lot to uh, Charlie Taylor as well. I think there was a lot of um, instruction from uh, Tom Heaton to, to, to all the defenders, but particularly to uh, to Charlie. And it did seem to just give a little bit more confidence i think if anything else that, that that's you know we we talk about fine margins in football and 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 maybe sometimes something like that is is going to make a difference i mean yeah, at the end of the day it did you know we got the uh, we got the result we got the 2-0 uh, win um and we've we've built on that since then as well i mean tom heaton's got a really good record i was looking back in terms of again you can't read too much into it but looking back at the Premier League games and the record when different people have been captain. And when Tom Heaton's been captain, I think he has, other than I think Jack Cork, who'd captained some games and had a, a reasonably good record himself on, on a much smaller number of games, Tom Heaton's record as captain um, is far greater, which might be surprising because obviously last season was when he was out of the side for most of the season and, and Burnley had the best season. So it is a little bit strange from, from that perspective, but um, he does seem to have a, a positive influence on, on the side. And he was chomping at the bit to get back into the game, wasn't he? I mean, you only had to see in his interview after the match how much it meant to, to him. Uh, and I don't think we were seeing anyone going anywhere in January from the goalkeeping department. But as you say, there may well come a decision somewhere down the line and that may well be in the summer. Yeah, it's going to be. God, I don't even know where that's going to go. It could literally. I think we, we've come to the conclusion, haven't we, that Pope's going to be number one. But I honestly don't know which one is going to keep over Hart and Heaton. It could, Hart could easily go by the end of the season. So where do we got to? Obviously, West Ham, we know that was a fantastic performance. Huddersfield was a few days later was another fantastic win to really and an important win as well. My goodness, if we'd have lost um, at Huddersfield, it would have kind of undone the good work that we put in against West Ham. I thought it was a, more of a nervy performance, Dave, and I think it maybe reflected the must not lose nature of the game. But I was massively impressed with the commitment and the discipline shown by that side to grind out that result. Yeah, when, when Huddersfield scored, it was against the uh, runner play a little bit. I mean, they'd had pockets in that first half. And when they scored the goal, it was from something and nothing, really. They didn't have that many men forward. It was a, a good ball into the box, picked out the man and uh, and, and scored a goal and, and went 1-0 up. And then we had the goal and the sending off after that, it's still in the first half. And then Burnley had to be very professional to see it out and, uh, and did so, got that second goal 
in the second half. Ashley Barnes could have easily had another one as well. And then Robbie Brady's sending off, which I don't know whether we're going to talk about that in detail, but that seemed a little bit harsh to me, even though Sean Dyche kind of um, seemed to take that on the chin, I think, in terms of his uh, his, his post-match press conference and, and his comments about that. When you look at some of the other challenges that were going in over the weekend that weren't even getting yellow cards and what Robbie Brady got a red card for, then I could think we can uh, feel a little bit hard done by. But yeah, in terms of the uh, performance of Huddersfield, Burnley were professional, did what was needed of them. It would have been so easy to slip up and drop points, whether that be a, a, a draw or a defeat, but they got the got the job done. And it was, as we've talked about already, the, the dual strike force of, uh, of Chris Wood and also Ashley Barnes. And not forgetting as well the contribution of, of Dwight McNeil, who had another very good game at, uh, at Huddersfield as well. Yeah, really did. They, I think they all played well. I think, like I say, it was it was perhaps a more reserved performance, especially when when we um, up to the point that we conceded the goal. But I think the, probably them going ahead was maybe the rocket that the, the players needed just to play with a bit more freedom and go ahead and try and get that goal. Let's go back then to Robbie Brady's red because it's quite interesting that you say you thought it was harsh. I thought it was absolutely clean cut red card. Um, so obviously we, we're different polar poles apart on that one. I just I don't understand why he makes that tackle. Oh, actually, let me rephrase that. Of course I understand why he makes the tackle because he's taking one for the team. That's the thing to do: take the yellow card, bring him down. Huddersfield were pushing, trying to find the equaliser, which would have been a really damaging result for our chances of, of survival. So yes, I understand the foul, but right. I jump in and make the lunge on him when just pull his shirt, pull his shirt back and pull him down because that's just definitely that's definitely a yellow. He's pulling the shirt. It's cynical and it will get you a yellow card, but it doesn't get you sent off. And I was really frustrated with that decision just because Robbie Brady's just had so many injury problems and he's finally back up to full fitness and he was going to start playing again and get back to his best. And now he's got three games off through a red card. It just felt like a really dumb thing to do. That said, though, Dave, we saw, didn't we, the, the rest of the weekend's action. Was it, um, or oh, who was it in? In the, was it Vincent Company, wasn't it, in the yeah. United, uh, Liv- sorry, City Liverpool game, who didn't even get a yellow card for that ridiculously bad challenge that should have been a straight red. So I can see people's arguments where Robbie Brady was nowhere near as bad as Vincent Company was. And a lot of people justifying the decision on the grounds that it was too early in a massive game and would have spoiled the game, which I think is an absolute nonsense. You can't have that as a rule. You can't say, well, we're going to let you off from these breaches of of football rules just because you feel like you want a spectacle of a game it was a massive game for Huddersfield and they ended up being on the losing side of it and you know what what does that do for their survival hopes now because I think I think for me they're probably down now who do we think goes with them Dave I mean I think for me Cardiff and Huddersfield I know Cardiff are got themselves a few wins recently but for me I think Cardiff and Huddersfield are going to go down. And then I think it's probably one from Fulham, Burnley, Newcastle, Palace. Southampton. I just can't see Southampton being in there in the end. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, let's put Southampton in there. What worries me, Dave, I think is the last fixtures of the season. Let me, while we're talking, let me bring this up because I can't remember off the top of my head. We tend to look at the the last eight games or so at the end of a Premier League season if you've got any designs of wanting to stay up. Last season, obviously, we didn't care. But the last game, oh my God, these are horrific. So from March onwards, we play Liverpool away, Leicester at home, Wolves at home, Bournemouth away, 
Cardiff at home. Then it gets to- Then with the last four games are Chelsea, City, Everton and Arsenal. So we need to be safe and with a comfortable enough cushion with four games left to go. So that essentially leaves us with Cardiff, Bournemouth, Wolves, Leicester, Palace. Oh, actually, you know what? There's quite a few winnable games, though, here. What do you think, Dave? Do you think we're going to do it, Dave? We are still in a really precarious position here, probably because we haven't got the luxury of that last four games to try and get some points from. If we if we assume that we're not going to get anything from that, that last four, we've got four less games to get us to safety with, you know, writing off 12 points. Yeah, I mean, the other thing we have to remember is the uh, other teams around us will have to play probably a similar number of games against teams in the top six. Not necessarily three of the last four games, but at some point in the last 17, they will do that. What I was looking through, I think it was Huddersfield. We talked about their uh, predicament. Uh, they have played most of the teams around them already at home. So they've got tougher games, the away games, against the teams who they should have to beat if they're going to get out of it. So that, that makes their predicament even worse from, from that perspective. And then, you know, their, their manager uh, mentioned it when, uh, when he was interviewed after the Burnley game, saying that uh, statistically teams don't get out from, from where they are. But he obviously wants to be that exception, but it's going to be a, a challenge for them. I think the points total that's required, I think one of the, the, the good things, I, th- I think, I hope, in terms of the way the season's gone, is that the top teams have seemed to be even more dominant this season. As a result, that will kind of stretch things a little bit in terms of the table. So it may well be that it might only be 32, 33 points that teams need to get to get out of it. That said, there's always, nearly always, a time at some point into March, April, where you know teams will pull two results out of the hat, get six points that you didn't expect them to get, and it kind of changes things around. So we can't assume too much, but I think the way it's going, and assuming that continues, the requirement in terms of points won't be quite as many as you think. But we need to get the points on the board sooner rather than later. When you look at those last four games and, and three of them being against yeah. sides that you know we, we we wouldn't really be expect to get anything from. And also Arsenal being the last game as well. Maybe it'll come down to the last game of the season and we'll just get a, a dodgy penalty against Arsenal in uh, on the 12th of May to uh, to keep us up. But no, we, we, we want to be making sure that before we get into those games, we look at the, yeah, the one before Chelsea was Cardiff, wasn't it? Cardiff on the uh, 13th of of April, that could be an important game. When you look at the four after it, three points from that may be vital. Um, There's a long way to go before then, but we do need... Well, it's not that long. There's only 17 games. (laughs) We're running out of games. (laughs) 13 if we ignore those those final four. I think I worked out is a rough calculation. I think maybe four wins and five draws probably Hmm. gets us there. That puts us on 35 points. That might well be enough. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Oh, nervous times. So before we even start thinking about points on the board, we have another fantastic chance this weekend to get three of those with a massive game at home. At home, 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 home. At home to Fulham. Dave, you have got a lovely, lovely little cheat sheet for me, which is full of green. Talk our listeners through some head-to-heads. Yeah, well, looking back at previous games against Fulham, Burnley have probably the best record of any other side in terms of visitors going to Turf Moor and uh, and managing not to get beaten by them. The last time Fulham won at Turf Moor was back in 1951. 
That was April of the 1950-51 season. They won 2-0. Frank Hill was manager back then. But there's been 29 matches since then, and Burnley have won 24 of them and drawn five. So we've got a a magnificent record against Fulham. And whatever team they send, whatever the the circumstances, Burnley seem to have the Indian sign over over Fulham and can get those results against them. I mean, games that I remember... Um, we had an FA Cup replay, so we drew down at Fulham, came back in, this is 2002-2003 season, came back up, I don't know if you, you remember this one, but uh, a lot of the Burnley crowd were wearing masks, one of the um, Fulham players was wearing a mask, so for some reason they were they were, we were wearing masks, and Burnley won 3-0, you know, they, they were uh, above us in terms of division, they were a, a Premier League side. Um, and Burnley were still playing in the uh, the championship then, but we beat them 3-0 on the day when Stan Turner was manager. Uh, we beat them in the League Cup in the um, capital punishment season. They were the, the first one of the uh, the capital teams uh, from London that we beat. Jay Rodriguez scored a, a late goal, if I recall, in, uh, in that game. It was, Jay, I remember Coyle, that. When Coyle oh. was manager. Um, and then since then, we've actually only had two other um, home games against Fulham since then. We had a 1-1 draw again with Owen Coyle as manager, uh, which was the Premier League season. Things had just started to stutter a little bit. We'd had a really good start to the season, won our first four home games, and then we started to stutter. We still couldn't win away, but we, we stopped winning at home. We had a, a really good win against, a, a good draw against Arsenal. We drew 1-1. And then shortly after that, I think we, uh, or around about the same time, it was within the same week, uh, we drew 1-1 with, uh, with Fulham. Um, and then the the one game since then was the one game Sean Dyche's been in charge uh, against Fulham at Turf Moor, and that was November of the promotion season 2015-16. Uh, Burnley won 3-1 with Andre uh, Gray uh, getting, grabbing two of those goals. So Burnley have, have got a fantastic record against Fulham. That that goes out the window when, when Saturday comes and we're, we're playing. That doesn't have a, a bearing, but... There's always that uh, thing at the back of your mind that you know Burnley have been a really really strong side in the past. I mean, one one of the ones I missed there actually look, looking back, we had a a one nil win in May 1999. Again, another one when Stan Turner was manager. If I remember right, that was one where uh, Kevin Keegan was uh, manager of Fulham at the time, and they I think they they were either going to win the title or already won the title or needed to 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 win to confirm the title. They definitely did win the title in the end, but Burnley won. One nil. So they, even when they were sort of roaring ahead, and we weren't having a, a fantastic season, then Burnley won one nil. Ronnie Jepson scored the uh, the goal in that game. So Burnley just do seem to, whatever the situation, play really well at Turf Moor against Fulham. And let's hope that continues on Saturday. How do you think we'll line up, Dave? I mean, moving away from sort of the the lucky stats that, that and the good record we have against Fulham, Dyche now seems to have binned this five at the back. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, well, I'm, in fact, you know, I'm not going to use the word I was looking for. Clearly, that didn't quite work. We still shipped quite a lot of goals with with, uh, with five players at the back, and he's gone back to a four four two. Do you expect him to keep the same lineup that's been working over the Christmas period, or do you expect to see any more changes? Um, it wouldn't surprise me if we reverted back to the side that won at, um, at Huddersfield, where Wooden Barnes seemed to be working mm. well up front. We do we do have other options there as well, but they may have to bide the time from the from the bench. Dwight McNeil's played three games in less than a week, but obviously he's had a week to recover 
since the Barnsley game, which uh, yeah. which helped. So the way he's playing, I think you'd want him. Well, he's going to have to because there's no Brady. So yeah, exactly, we don't have the option of bringing Robbie Brady in. So you'd expect him to uh, to start as well. So it, it wouldn't be any surprise, I don't think, to see to see the same. The, the the well, the the only difference I think will be is it will depend on uh, what's available in the right-back position. Um, yes. James Tarkos, who captained the side and played right-back, and we didn't have Matt Lowton or Phil Barsley on the Do on we the know bench. why that was? I assumed that it was just that it was injuries, but I've not heard anything from either of them. I know Barsley came off, didn't he, against... Uh, who did he come off against? It must have been. It must have been the Huddersfield game where he um, had a little bit of a, of a, a like a groin strain. But um, I didn't think there was anything wrong with Lawton. Matt Lawton with his toe, apparently. I, I was oh, doing uh, Clarence Player on um, on Saturday in the press conference after the game. Uh, Sean Dyche had mentioned that um, there was just an injury to his toe. He expected him to be back, I think, but you can never be hundred percent sure on uh, on these things. But they weren't certainly going to risk him for uh, for an FA Cup game. I don't, don't think there was anything particularly serious. It may well be that Matt Lowton is is back. Yeah, back. But what about left back? Now. Do we do we go with Ward again or do we leave Chaler in? I don't know. Again, there's a decision to make there, isn't there? I think, I think maybe I'd, I'd be tempted to keep the settle side for the time being. I think Charlie Taylor's come into his own a little bit in the last few games. I think he's... Yeah, uh, I've been impressed with him. Yeah, I think he's, he's, he's definitely in, improved over the last uh, two or three games in particular. I mean, there was the option, wasn't it, on Saturday? He could have done it the other way around. He could have had Stephen Ward playing a more advanced position and, and Charlie Taylor at full yeah. back in the end. He decided to go the other way around. And uh, I'm not sure Stephen Ward would have been fit enough to play. Uh, obviously, he's, he's not played for quite some time, and I think that probably made yeah. sense to have... Taylor up there. The obvious one that we've not yet covered, um, purely because we've not really had a chance to, to have a look at the FA Cup game at the weekend, is Nick Pope. Who on earth starts in goal? I think Hart's not going to start for now. Do um, you think he'll start heating for sure? When does he bring uh, Pope back then? Pope's not going to spend the rest of the season on the bench. Pope's number no. one choice and he's going to come back in. Yeah, I, mean, I think just the the way, maybe it was the way that the, um, uh, the, the, the reports were worded after the game, it did seem to suggest that it was Tom's shirt and he'd be playing in the uh, the Premier League matches. But again, there's going to be another decision somewhere down the line and, and not too far away. I mean, Nick Pope played mm. the game perfectly fine and again, commanded his box, which to be fair, neither Hart or Heaton can do to the same extent. Uh, that's a different facet to, to the game. And I think, you know, it's it's Nick Pope's uh, strong suit, isn't it, in terms of him being able to, uh, to come for balls that neither of the other two could or, or, yeah. or would. So there's going to be a decision, and it's probably going to be sometime later in January as to um, you know, when when does Nick Pope get back in the side. But if if we're playing well and getting victories, then Tom Heaton's in there. Then you know you, you probably wouldn't want to chop and change it too much, would you? No, I agree. I just I, I do want to see Nick Pope back in the goal at some point. I love Heaton. I'd quite happily have Joe Hart as third choice, Heaton number two, and Pope first choice. I think that's probably where I sit in terms of priority order. I'm not going to cover too much of the FA Cup just because it wasn't a, that eventful a game. Um, we had the absolute VR, VAR nonsense, which I do want to cover. Quite frankly, probably the most bizarre penalty I've ever seen in my life. It's so Burnley, wasn't it, to get our first penalty in absolutely ages. And VAR cancels it out as Matty Vidra's taking them up to the goal. It was crazy, wasn't it? Um, 
there is a, a difference in the way that the FA have implemented the, the system compared to, um, I think, international standards. I think what, what has been said is that in the recommendation is that there is um, a pitch side monitor. Now, that wasn't available in any of the, I think it was nine matches this uh, weekend in the FA Cup that had VAR um, in place and they haven't had the pitch side screens. What should happen at the very least, and it was said during the commentary, and Sean Dyche mentioned exactly the same in the um, uh, post-match press conference, was that the referee should hold the ball. If there's some sort of decision being made, the, the ball shouldn't be on the uh, the penalty spot. So that was a little bit uh, amateurish. We need, to, we need to do two things. We need to iron out these sort of difficulties. We need to get the communication with the, with the rest of the people on the ground, including the supporters, improved. And the time to make the decision needs to improve. You know, they, they, it just dragged on and on and it, no one knew what was going on. It was a, a farce from start to finish. I guess the one plus side of that is that we see these things now, we can iron them out and by the time hopefully this system comes in for the Premier League as we expect it to for the start of next season, then we won't have these same problems coming about and it'll be a, a slicker system, better communicated for the players on the pitch and also uh, the supporters watching from the stands as well. Yeah, definitely. Who do you want in the next round? Do you fancy home away? Do you want a big side? Do you want a lower league side? What What are your hopes for the draw? It's been made in about half an hour as we're recording this podcast on Monday night. So what do you want, Dave? I would prefer a home tie and I would prefer to play um, a side beneath us or someone in the lower league. I mean, again, in, in some ways, I'm... Would I want to play another non-league side again after Lincoln? Well, yeah, maybe we've 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 learned from that and, and wouldn't have a, a a problem. Whoever we play, there's always going to be a challenge. You're not going to be a hundred percent certain, so there's there's challenges no matter which team you play. But if you get a, a home tie and you're playing a team beneath you, then that's going to be your best chance of progressing. So, you know, who's left in? There's uh, Newport now, there's uh, Barnet, there's Oldham. Oh, Oldham would be nice. Yeah, preference for for those at home. Yeah, for me, it's anybody but Blackburn. Um, And I know know that his fans completely disagree. They've got to beat Newcastle yet, haven't they? Did they, they drew, didn't they? I think yeah. they're still in the hat. Um, it's anybody but them for me. I, do, I just don't feel like this is the season we should be playing our East Lang's rivals. So I just I wouldn't feel that confident. I, I agree with you, Dave. I would love um, I'd love a non. I'd love I'd like a little bit of magic of the cup. Albeit I know Dutch's record is not normally that great against lower league opposition, but I would love a nice. Uh, I wouldn't mind an away tie. Actually, I wouldn't mind a way to Oldham. It'd be fantastic. Uh, listeners, I think that's what we've got time for this week. It, uh, apologies, it's been a little bit of a overview of everything that's happened over the festive period just because with deadlines and recording and and capacity of the team it's been very hard to get um, episodes out and then in the backside of that has always been that it's been quite difficult to get into the nitty-gritty of each individual side but the summary that we take from from the end of 2018 and into 2019 is that we did descend quite into quite a bad place by the end of Boxing Day with that defeat but we very quickly pulled ourselves out of it and that that definitely feels like the low point of the season and it feels like the team's on its way back up. We have got our keeper back, we've got our captain back, we've got the Chris Wood that we knew and loved last season, Ashley Barnes is still causing everybody nightmares. We have the emergence of Dwight McNeil who looks like an absolute fantastic little signing. 
well, it's not a signing, but, you know, a, a fantastic little addition to the squad. And we're on our way back. And, and as long as we can keep that going and we can get those points on the board before we have that running towards the end of the season, then we should maintain our Premier League position for next year. We will be back next week. We will be looking at the Fulham game. We'll be seeing where we are in the table. We'll be looking a bit more at the transfer window to see what, if anything, we need. Uh, we might have a, a dip back into some of the issues. We didn't get a chance to have a look at this week um, just to see if there's any more wider points we want to talk about um, and we'll see where we are um, thanks as ever go to Dave for joining me and mulling over all of those points this season thanks to producer Matt for putting it all together and editing it and thanks as ever to you the listeners for downloading and listening to the podcast your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you this has been the None and Ever podcast I've been Natalie Bromley until next time Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.